Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for All Things Evangelism. I'm here this week with Pastor Tim Merritt from the Lismore Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we want to talk about when someone is ready to be baptized. Now, not every church member has experienced preparing someone for baptism or working with people in evangelistic ministry to prepare them for baptism, but Pastor Tim has, and I thought it'd be really good because there's lots of different feelings and views about when someone's ready to be baptized, uh, to talk with me. Hey, so thanks for joining me, Pastor. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Nice to be here with you. Yeah, hey, so before maybe we begin, Tim, could you just maybe share a little bit about yourself with the church family that's listening? Yeah, so currently working in Lismore, as you uh, mentioned earlier. I've been in pastoral ministry for about 10 years now. And yeah, my passion is actually studying one-on-one with people. I really enjoy that opportunity to lead them to Christ. And, and how long have you been up in Lismore? This is my sixth year in Lismore. Oh, yeah. And, and what were you doing before you were pastoring there? So I first started as a Bible worker in Casino. And then after that, they uh, put me on in Kyogle. Yeah, because I was currently studying during that time. And, yes. And was put on internship the following year with the pastoring Casino and Kyogle churches. Ah, so, so you've not always been a pastor. No, before that, I was a uh, plumber and also did a lot of building work and a bit of project management work. Ah, that's cool, huh? So we know you've had a real job before. That's funny. I won't comment on that. (laughs) No, that's cool. Man, that's cool. So God called you from a trade to pastor churches. Yes. Beautiful. It's almost, you're like Elijah or Elisha, sorry, who was on the plow. He had a trade and then God called him to be a minister. Yeah. And a leader. Oh, that's awesome. So your passion is, is one-on-one Bible studies, and that's something that, that I, I've noticed over the years working with you in this conference. That's something that, yeah, you do a lot of. And so yeah. that's one of the reasons why I wanted to, to talk with you, because I thought, oh, yeah, Pastor Tim is does gives lots of studies and works with a lot of people individually one-on-one. It would be perfect to talk to you about the subject. So that's a big question, and, and we'll see where it goes. But, Pastor, what when do you think someone is ready? To be baptized. That's this is the big question. We'll just kick our conversation off there. Yeah, well, that, that is a big question. And sometimes people think they're ready to be baptized before they are being baptized, purely and simply because they don't understand what baptism entails. Yeah, initially, when if someone like I won't bring up the subject of baptism for a number of times until I think that maybe they're getting ready to make it. So, yeah, it's. Going back to this idea, this thought of when a person is ready, I have the analogy of like the chip program, how the chip program works. And if people say, yeah, I want to go onto this diet straight away. And if you just give them the the outline of what you should do without them understanding why they're actually doing, then it's not going to continue. And I think, yeah, that's what you've got to decipher in a person's mind. Do they fully understand? And so I think... Yeah, there's a number of things that I need to understand first. Is allowed to be baptized just simply because they want to be. You, you they, they may not have a high chance of continuing their faith because they don't understand what's behind the ceremony or behind the service. You know, yeah, They often think that baptism is going to fix their sinfulness and just put them back on track. And others just think it's something that you do uh, to be saved. And they've ticked that box and then they go back to their normal life as well. So a works-based view of the ceremony. So that's so interesting. I've done a little bit over the years of speaking at camps 
mostly before I came to Australia and, and started serving in, in my present role. But I would notice at the end of, say, a week of worship or a camp with the kids at summer camps, a lot of the kids would make decisions for baptism. And I, I used to put myself in their shoes as, as I'm, I'm doing the presenting. And then I would put myself in the shoes of the kids that are there and try to consider their decision in the light of the experience they were having. And they're doing recreation every day. And they're hanging out with other kids all day. And they have these camp counselors who are a little older than them. And typically when you're young, you really look up to the people in the age bracket above you. And everyone's treating them nice and having these worships and there's great music. And it's just a great experience all around. As a presenter, I would always think these young people are not fully aware of what this really means. Like to stand up for God in a dark and sinful world. They're at camp. They're hearing my stories and my messages and there's a lot of emotion in them and stuff. And so they're just having this really emotional experience. And so anyways, I'm not, I know that God worked on their hearts for sure and spoke to them. But at the same time, as a mature adult man, I had to realize that they didn't fully comprehend what Jesus really meant and what the gospel really means. And so I always thought it'd be kidding yourself if you thought that those kids after that week were fully prepared and equipped to accept Jesus, like in the same sense that the apostles did. Nobody fully understands at first, but anyways, I always felt that I had a bit of a responsibility to really help them comprehend the implications of this decision. That way, they, they're not just accepting the camp experience, right? They're not just endorsing the speaker when they stand up, that mm. they fully, they really get the whole idea of being born again. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's certainly the first step is they understand the commitment they understand what it means to accept Christ into their life and, and to live a changed life walking alongside of him. And also they need to understand that baptism is actually joining God's church, God's, yeah, which outlays in 1 Corinthians that, yeah, we were all by one spirit, we're baptized into one body. And one of the things I like to ask when I, when I have a look at that um, verse in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13 is that if we're to join the body of Christ, what is the body of Christ? Because there's that oneness there and God wants us to have that oneness to be able to, to take to the world. And what do you say to people, Tim, who say, I want to be baptized into Jesus, but not into a church? Yeah, I just do a Bible study with them, basically. And yeah, reveal that being baptized into Christ is being baptized into his body. You need to make sure that you're joining the body of Christ, not some other entity. Yeah, it's a common, is it pretty common to hear people say that in your experience, like individuals you study with? Oh, very common, very yeah. common. Um, and what do you think that is? Good question. I think that is because they're anti-religion maybe or anti-institution and or maybe have had some bad experiences in the past that have actually <laughs> affected them and, yeah. Yeah. Or not sure about, you know, what body they should actually join. Yeah, it could be a bit confusing with lots of different groups and, and the perspectives and feelings they might carry towards those groups. And society doesn't make it you know, comfortable for people, right? If there are underlying messages all throughout society that are negative towards religious faith and churches and all that, it's going to program people's thinking in such a way that when you share scriptural truth with them and they're being brought to spiritual life through the Bible, that they're going to be a little hesitant to join any group or church because the society around them has stigmatized church through sitcoms and movies and music and just almost everything. There's this kind of disdain for church and for religion and faith. And so that's going to, to some degree, have brainwashed people. 
So yeah. then that, that might be a bit afraid. And I, I noticed this is a, a lesson I learned in my experience was that people often think more of their ability than they should. Like they don't realize how much help that they actually need and how necessary it is to be a part of a, a group where you can have some accountability and encouragement and all that, where you just think, you just don't realize like how important it is to have a community around you that can help you and support you. And also that you can learn a lot of lessons through. I, I, I want to be baptized into Jesus, but not into a church because I'm perfectly fine on my own. I can stand on my own, but no, you can't. And that's a really good point, Matt. And I think we underestimate the power of community and church and getting together. And even for seasoned Adventists who have been coming to church for a long time, they really don't understand. And I'm really fearful for this time that we're in when we've been locked out of our churches and our communities. And, you know, it'd be interesting to hear people's journey through that. And I think um, they would certainly be struggling more. Yeah. This is something that maybe not a lot of people have thought of this, but do you think there's any correlation between the brokenness of the modern family, like how most families are broken and dysfunctional, and people's hesitancy to join a group or an organization? Like a church? Yeah, I think, yeah, that could certainly play a part. I probably don't see that as much in the people that I've been experienced with, but I think, yeah, that certainly would play a part. Yeah, I was just thinking, when you have brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts, you learn how to deal with people, like on an interpersonal level. Mm. And so you're not afraid of kind of relational accountability, like or committing to other people because you've had to commit to them your whole life. But if you, like I grew up in a, typical American home. We're two kids, two parents. My sister and I, we didn't hang out much. So you're really pretty on your own. And mom and dad, like how much did we spend time together? Not a whole lot. Like they're working, they're doing their thing and I'm with my friends. And so it's a very divided life where there's not a lot of accountability or or relational responsibility that you take upon yourself. And joining a church, like what does that involve? I feel like we live in a society that's afraid of commitment and f- afraid of taking responsibility for themselves and for others. And so joining a church may present like a scary prospect to lots of people because they're just unfamiliar with functioning in families or in groups where you have to, I commit to you, you commit to me. We're very wary. We're very wary. And, and rightly, it's to a great extent, a lot of people have good reasons to be wary and to be concerned about joining some group that they're unfamiliar with. And maybe we could do a good job of, maybe we could learn to do a good job of orienting people like you do with Bible studies, but then also helping them become familiar with our church and then maybe by degrees bringing them closer to the church. Because I've noticed in my experience that people get less inclined to, they're they're less scared of joining the church the more they associate with it. Once they start coming and eating with the church family and spending time, it's all. Yeah. And there is certainly a very big hurdle in getting people over because, and, and, and sadly, a lot of our own people don't realise they're scared of talking to someone new because they don't know how to talk to somebody, but they don't realise how much more afraid that person is coming into a new environment which they're completely unfamiliar with and have got no idea how it happens. So, Tim, what do you, what do you say to people who are of the opinion that a person is ready to be baptised when they say they are? Like, and that to believe differently is to put an unnecessary barrier in someone's way to God. Because there are people who think that. There are people who think if you have standards that you use to judge someone's readiness for baptism, then that's an, that standard is an unnecessary barrier and you're getting in the way of the gospel. Like as soon as someone 
confesses with their mouths, they should be given access to the rite of baptism and entrance into the church. And kind of what's your feelings there? What do we say to that? Yeah, for me, Matt, I've actually witnessed people that have been baptized before they're fully understood and before they're ready. And sadly, I've seen a lot of those people, or the major majority of those people just walk away as well. And yeah, I think there's great benefit in them having a full understanding of the commitment they're making and Mm -hmm. the full understanding of what Jesus, well, well, a fuller, I should say. I don't think I've, I've even got a full understanding myself, and I think I'll continue to learn throughout eternity. But there is certainly benefit in in understanding more fully what um, Christ has done for you, what a changed life looks like, and what joining a community is all about as well. And helping them to realize that God wants to reach other people through them as well. It seems like what you're saying is just basic discipleship stuff, like we're, and even just basic orientation to what you're getting into, which only seems fair. Like it almost seems it's unfair to know that someone's in ignorance and withhold information from them that could help them be informed, right? Like it, it seems so common sense what you're saying to me. And and it, to me, I'm a bit puzzled at why, I'm just puzzled at why some people are so averse to, not lots of people, but some people are so averse to just informing others about what scripture has to say about the Christian walk and the truths of the Bible. Like what, what would that... Why would anyone be objectionable to that? This person doesn't fully comprehend. It's evident. So let me inform them, right? What does Jesus require? What does this really mean? The whole idea of baptism and commitment to God. And that's discipleship. Like I'm going to, as a disciple of Jesus, help someone else understand. And yeah. And, and certainly biblically, Matt, we've got so much information biblically that is the correct way. When Jesus left his disciples, he said, um, you go and make disciples of all the world and then baptize them. But the disciple making comes first and then the baptism comes afterwards. And a lot of people use the analogy of the Ethiopian that he really only had a couple of hours of Bible study, but they forget um, the guy's journey before him. He was so committed to the Israelites' God that he made a 2,000-kilometre journey to go and to be there with them. And when he was there, obviously buying the scroll of Isaiah and continuing to read and continuing to understand. And when I look at that guy, I think the main thing that he missed is what Jesus had done for him. So many people get that first, but they miss afterwards. And this Ethiopian, when he got the last piece in the puzzle, he goes, yeah, I want to fully commit. What's stopping me from being baptized? Philip asked him one more question. He said, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and there's so much in that, the Son of God thing, the covenantal side of the, the Son of God and the fully understanding of that Son of God is, is yeah, gives us so much more light on who Jesus was and what he has done for us. Yeah, I don't see preparing someone for baptism as a barrier between putting a barrier between them and God. I think it's caring about them. It's doing the best for them, Matt. It's doing the yeah. best for their longevity. And I always believe that we should never stop um, Bible studies with people as soon as they're baptized, as soon as they're baptized, because yeah, we need to continue to grow with them. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's. I think it's First Peter one twenty three. It says that we're born again through the Word, and then later in the epistle, Peter says that we're nourished and grown through the Word. So. Yeah, you don't just bring someone to birth Mm. through scriptural study and then, okay, see you later.
<laughs> and faith cometh through hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more of the word of God, the more faith we're going to have and the more growth. Yes. So this week I was talking to some friends about, oh, it was the team doing the Is Death the End series. So on Friday night, we had a live Q&A for the online evangelism series that our department's pushing and just initiating, or I don't know what to say, that we're putting on. And the team and I were just talking about this subject. And I, a thought came to us, and that was that in the first century and onwards, you could get killed for confessing. Like it, it was a dangerous thing to do. Mm-hmm. And the fact Christianity was dangerous, like to become a member, that would purify your motivation, I would imagine. Like obviously they had issues in the church and they had controversies and false apostles. And there, those things existed in those days for sure. But when it's unpopular, when your religious faith is illegal in the country, it, you're going to be a little less likely to just casually confess Jesus and faith in Christ and faith in the prophetic writings of the Bible. It's very different than today, right? It's very different. So further to that, there was like one church, one church. The Christian church hadn't gone through thousands of years of history. It hadn't incorporated like Roman paganism into its system of worship and then fragmented into hundreds of pieces and all of this kinds of stuff. And so sometimes I I feel like it's a false corollary to, to say, hey, this happened in Act 16 with the Philippian jailer. And so therefore, that's a direct corollary to how everything should function now. Because even in the New Testament, like with John the Baptist, he refused people to be baptized in his time when he didn't believe that they were prepared or ready in Mm -hmm. in Luke chapter 3. So you see in the Bible, in the, the baptizer, John, refusing to baptize people, that there's one church at that time, one faith, they had all things in common. If you get, if you join that community, you're joining an illegal community, and there's a set of elders in there. There's one church, man. I mean, have one teaching, one doctrine. You know what I mean? So it's a whole different reality. And I think it's, it's not really, it doesn't take into account the bigger picture when you just say, oh yeah, the Philippian jailer just confessed Christ and he was baptized. It's a false corollary. It doesn't translate perfectly. And then also, it doesn't take into account all of the factors either. That's my thing. I think, and two, the whole idea of baptizing people, as soon as they verbalize the name Jesus, like, I believe he's the son of God who died for my sins. I think that's predicated upon the whole once saved, always saved theology, yeah, right? I would agree, yeah. 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 It's like kind of a Baptist, <clears throat> once saved, always saved. I, I verbalize with my mouth the, the name Jesus and I'm saved forever. I'll, I'll tick that box, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And heart conversion, repentance, change of life, the fruit of the spirit. It's just, (laughs) what does that have to do with anything? It's like, uh, hey, son, so you're marrying Jennifer. How long have you been dating? Oh, no, we didn't date at all. Oh, really? What do you know about her? Nothing. She's (laughs) pretty good looking, I think. Yeah. Hey, so could you tell us a story of a, a noteworthy story of when you realize someone's ready for baptism or just... A good baptism story, like preparing someone for baptism, maybe it could be like a victory story or a story where there's lessons to be learned for us you know, through it. Anything that comes to mind. Yeah. Obviously, the later ones always come to mind. My own guy I'm currently studying, I only had um, four Bible studies with him at this stage. And he said, I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized as soon as possible. I want to give my life to Christ and I want to you know, live this new life with him. And you go, wow, that's that's awesome. That's that's really great. And yeah, it was really hard for me to say, we need to do some more study. But initially, I just went through a couple of studies with him and, and revealed how that was joining the church and you need to understand which was God's church. 
And he started speaking to another lady online. And through that speaking to this other lady online, she taught him a few things about what she believed in and tried to get him to do away with the Sabbath. And immediately in his mind, he started to question about the Sabbath and its necessity and its reality to different things. And yeah, you could tell that he wasn't ready. And But through that, I was able to do a lot more study with him. And he got to a fuller understanding that, yeah, the Sabbath is an integral part of our understanding that God is our creator, that God is our redeemer. And it's an integral part of committing a life to him and accepting what he has done and accepting that he is, has authority to rule in their own lives. And yeah, just a few weeks later, but he is studying so much. He's just, he can't get his head out of the box telling me five hours a night and things like that. Can't wait to get home from work so he can open the word. And yeah, so I think he's going to be ready way sooner than somebody else because he's completely spending more time in the word. But that initial example of when he said he was ready, he wasn't quite ready because although he thought he was committed, something very small was able to change that commitment level. Man, that's awesome. That's so good. Praise God that he wasn't scared away mm. by that other uh, person's information and sharing. He was still willing to hear you out mm. and not just get shaken mm. by that too much. Yeah, wow. Baptism symbolizes something and it makes sense to me if I'm trying to figure out when someone's ready to be baptized, it would be that their life is already reflecting what baptism symbolizes. Like I can see they're dying to their old self and they're living in the spirit. So yeah, like Jesus says, the wind blows where it wants and you can see its effects, but you can't see it. You can't physically see it, but you see its effects. Mm. So you should be able to see the spirit's effects on someone if someone's having a spiritual encounter with God. They're being born again, and you can see that. It's expressing itself in the life. So when someone's ready to be baptized is when you can see Jesus living his life in them Mm. and that they're denying themselves, picking up their cross, and they're following him, and that's expressing itself in real-life ways. And if that's not happening, they're not having a personal, practical experience with God and the Spirit of God is. The Bible says where there is no change, there is no fear. Mm. And fear means respect, awe, appreciation. So if you're seeing no change, no visible change, then you're not then you're not seeing God because God is real. Yeah. You know, we're not just dealing in the abstract, ethereal like world. We're dealing with facts and reality. And God really saves people. He really changes people. And that's that's one indication that someone's ready to be baptized. You're seeing change. You're seeing Jesus in them, like their life is changing. I, I gave a Bible study to a guy once. And well, I met him just walking up the street and he, he had a pyramid of whiskey bottles on his porch and he was, there was like Metallica playing really loud, old like hard rock band from the 80s and 90s and the house was filthy and disgusting and the kids were dirty and nasty. I remember his wife had a broken arm. I think he was abusive when I met them. And we start studying the Bible. I remember after our first Bible study, the guy was crying and he was a mess. Like his life was a mess. Everything was just a total mess. And he he was baptized several months later. But through the course of our time, our interactions together, his his house began to clean up. His children were no longer in dirty nappies every time you saw them and filthy. There wasn't food all over the house, rotting on the floor. And there was being changed. Like God was coming into that home and they were responding. 
and and you could see it like it was happening like god was at work and they weren't perfect they couldn't they didn't understand everything perfectly and i didn't demand that they would understand every teaching of scripture perfectly but they had a basic understanding of the fundamental teachings of the bible and they had a basic understanding of what it truly meant to be a christ follower and they showed that and they confessed it and they lived it and then now we knew they were real and we accepted them into the body of christ and uh it was awesome yeah. But if he's still beating his wife, if he's still got rotten food on the floor and is they're neglecting their children, like how can you say that person has come to Christ? Oh, they've come to Christ so that Jesus could let them keep beating their wife? I don't think so. No. And that's the thing. I've got another couple that I'm studying with and they've accepted all the, the, the truths except for the one about marriage. And they're living in an uncommitted relationship. And yeah, they... So I, I just simply say to them, so you're not ready to fully accept everything that God has planned for your life. And what he has planned for your life will actually improve your life and improve your commitment level together with each other. The relationship you have with the children that are in your household and everything, because you'll they'll see that commitment to each other, but they'll also see that commitment to God. And mm. if people aren't ready to make that step to, to fully commit to God in everything, then they're actually not fully accepting God's governance over them. You're saying what Jesus said, you know, in Luke 14, the whole count the cost chapter where he's helping people to understand what what following him will really mean. And mm-hmm. he gives the example of the tower. If you're going to build the tower, make sure you have enough to finish. And if you're going to go to war, make sure you're prepared for it. So he's like, you guys, before you join me, you better understand what this really involves. And then one of his pinnacle statement is, Unless you forsake all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. And Jesus, and it's, some people read that and say, oh, this is a works thing. Like Jesus is saying, if I give up everything, then he'll accept me. But that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, is being someone's disciple means you're following them so that you can be like them. And Jesus is the guy who gave up everything for us. So if if you want to follow him, what you're saying is, is I want to give up everything for others too. I want to become unselfish and give everything up for God, who's given everything up for me. And so how can you say you want to follow Jesus when you don't want to follow Jesus? He's basically saying, anyone who comes after me has to actually come after me. And where am I going? I'm going to be unselfish and to give myself. And so you got to let, so that supports your point. That's your basic point. And the last thing I'll say today is that it's left me. When we marvel at, we marvel at the stories we hear about the pedophile priests in the Catholic church. We're like, whoa, how could that have happened? And how could they have known that this priest pedophile and then they moved him over to this other parish or we're amazed when we hear of stories of adultery in the church or the abuse of power or all these kinds of things. And we're like baffled, like how could this ever happen? How could we let this happen? And while at the same time, some of those people who are so amazed that that happens just want to baptize anybody into the church. It's, wait, you don't want to have any standards upon entrance into the church, but then you're wondering why we don't have standards sufficient to call out to do the right thing morally when we find sin in the church. I think it's the same fundamental problem, if you understand what I'm saying. So it's, this guy said the word Jesus. We let him into full fellowship in the church. And someone advocates for that. And then at the same time, they're like, oh no, how could the church have ever let this like wolf in the chicken? We got a wolf, we got a fox in the chicken in the chook coop. You know, how'd that happen? Well, you're baptizing people and you're not even holding them to account for godly Christian standards and to see, are they converted? Are they really sacrificing their lives? The person who 
you know, yeah, just anyways, that's something I think needs to be taken into account, taken into consideration. But do you have any last words for us, Pastor? No, I think we've, we've yeah, covered off a number of things. Certainly, probably <laughs> while, while you were talking, it opened a uh, question, but we yeah. won't have time to deal with that today. <laughs> but our understanding... Is that a fair point, though, do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're making a very good point. But the, one of the things I wanted to say in relation to that is sometimes we see God as we see earthly kings. And we think of God as giving us a set of rules that we need to tick off to make God happy. And that's not what they're all about. They're about our, our happiness and about having a better future for ourselves. And when we understand that more fully, we, we will be changed and we'll have that peace that only Jesus can give us. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us uh, today. Thank you, uh, Pastor Tim. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. God bless. Have a fantastic week. Keep our ministry in prayer, our Bible workers, our personal ministries teams as we strive to do God's will and really help people to be ready to enter into um, the church and to enter into the kingdom of heaven through baptism. I hope that you've enjoyed the conversation and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.